always talk about rewatchability. If afterwards I say to myself, when I want to go see this movie, virtuoso filmmaking by Scorsese. It's some of the best work he's done. Cinephile, the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast. I feel like sometimes we all need to pick me up. We're all looking for hope. We're all looking for salvation. We're all looking for a little bit of optimism. And today, if you're looking for laughs, you came to the right place. Two comedic giants in Kevin Hart and Christopher Guest coming up momentarily. But to further my point about looking for a pick-me-up, you know, divisive election cycle, social media can be poisonous, but this is a place for benevolence. Remember before I had one Scorsese book that was sent to me, the, the gorgeous coffee table book, John Schoen, or John Sean, how it's pronounced. Then I got that movie uh, trivia game, which wasn't very good, and Stanzik and I contemplated throwing it out, but thanks again for that film buff game. Not one, two more Scorsese books here. Shoot like Scorsese, which is like a pamphlet. This is, well, not a pamphlet, I should say, but a small book, Christopher Kenworthy. It's literally like a 100-page book, and it's, this is awesome. Like, I want to go to film school right now. Like, this is actually showing it shot by shot how to shoot certain Scorsese scenes. And then I got another book. This is by Tim Grierson, Martin Scorsese in 10 Scenes. And it's critical scenes out of his movies. They picked out 10. For example, like the Copa shot in Goodfellas and break down why it's so good and how it was set up and the steady cam, et cetera. Amazing. And yet, nobody's giving me a return address. Just let me know who you are. You're so kind. The other book, I did get a tweet, and the, the handle just said fan of Adnan's. But I, again, I don't. I don't know who it is. He just said, hey, that, that book wasn't from the publisher. I'm just a big fan of yours, you know, but I'm not like De Niro in the fan. And I'm like, well, let me know who you are. Like, let me at least send you a shirt. Let, let me send you a thank you note, something. I don't know, whatever you want. Let me give you a tour of ESPN. Come on down. If you, you want to come to Central Connecticut, you send me a Scorsese book. You get a tour of ESPN. But actually, all kidding aside, we do have gifts. For whoever has sent me these books and whoever is a big avid fan of the show, we have huge news. The shirts are here. Uh, Stanzik and I are rocking them. Uh, thanks to all those who have sent them to Mike Gullick Jr. for the win. He has uh, been an ardent fan of the podcast. He he retweets, he likes it, he forwards it. So uh, thanks to Mike and, and, of course, all those who are supportive of it. But here's the good news. People were tweeting and asking, okay, how do I get the shirts? Trivia question, and that's how we're going to come through with it today. And I tell you, when it comes to good trivia, this is outstanding trivia for my man Stanzik. Because I, I just said to him, he goes, what do you think? Because I have a ton of shirts now. And Stanzik goes, what do you think? And I said, well, trivia. And this is how stupid my trivia would have been. It'd be like, um, what? how many times has Al Pacino been nominated for an Oscar? Like a quick Google search, eight. Okay, do I get a shirt now? And then we just take the first ten respondents. Stanzik has come up with an elaborate quiz. If you, Because this is how it's going to work. You have to answer all these right. There's seven, nine questions. How many questions? I got to count. It's either eight or nine. Okay. It's a lot of questions, but it fits in the 140 characters. And if you write back to my name, so my Twitter handle is Adnan ESPN, A-D-N-A-N, lowercase, and ESPN, uppercase. And then you have to put the answers to all these questions. And Stanzik has done this, and I've seen this. It fits within the 140 characters. The first 10 respondents who get this elaborate quiz correctly Get a cinephile shirt. You will you will uh, DM my boy Stanzik, and he'll get you either a large or an extra large, white or black. All those asking for kid sizes. Come on, what do you think we got a budget here? Uh, do, you, do you have a girls medium? I'm like, no, we just we have two sizes. It's a miracle. Next happens. Christmas, if you want kid sizes, <laughs> next Christmas, not this year, next year. Once we've really blown up. So without further ado, here's my man Stanzik giving you the quiz for cinephile shirts. Go ahead, Dan. 
All right, you're nervous that no one's going to get this, correct? I I think we I don't think anyone's going to get these cuz you will have had to listen to every podcast to get this. I think you're doubting our fans and if there's one thing I've learned it's never to underestimate the audience. Okay. Well, I trust so you. Here we go. Yep. Question number 1 and you can also use hashtag #cinephile that will be easy to sort them. Good it point. all fits. So at, at NESPN, hashtag cinephile, and then there are nine questions. Couldn't do ten because space is going to be limited with the answers. <laughs> I also put commas in there, so commas, they count. Yeah. Question one, the movie that Robert De Niro had to talk Martin Scorsese into doing was blank. Also Adnan's favorite movie. Spoiler alert. There's a good clue. That's a good Question clue. two, when Adnan did the actor's spotlight on Bill Murray, he said that Bill Murray's best role was in blank. He's wrong, but give us the, the answer that Adnan gave when he ranked Bill Murray's top five roles. Right. Question three. The first person to perform the song New York, New York was blank. That's a great one by you. Good luck with that one. You got to dig deep. People will get it. The alliterative term that Adnan frequently uses to describe a film an actor or director cares deeply about is blank. That is tremendous because the other stuff you could kind of Google it, maybe figure it out. This one, you, you will have to listen to the podcast to hear me talk. You use the phrase a lot. Oh, yeah. I'd say at least once an episode. Yes. So if you I just would... go through, you also have to know what alliteration is here. <laughs> so <laughs> we're really testing the knowledge of, of the audience once again. But I got faith in you guys. Question five, I think it is. The first film reviewed on Cinephile was blank. You probably didn't even remember that, no, did you? No, I did. That was easy a, to find. Though. This was a pilot that, that we were easy to find. It's that was posted, though. It's, uh, right. That one's it easy to find. Okay. Question, let's see. Six. Six, seven, eight, nine. Yes, six. Dennis Leary told us that he fell asleep and then found the movie blank to be hysterical. That is hilarious, that story. <laughs> Another clue, it won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Good. Next question. The number, speaking of the Academy Awards, the number of Oscar nominees that have appeared on Cinephile is blank. Again, tricky at first, but if you just go through it, you can see it. Would you have known that offhand? I, I wouldn't have known it offhand, no. Okay. I'd have to look it up. And one of our guests today, I wasn't sure if he was ever nominated. Not. So we're good. Okay, yeah. We're good. Crazy, okay. Yeah. Question eight. The best picture winner that Adnan called, quote, overrated, feel-good fluff, <laughs> end quote, end quote, Drek, was blank. I think this is the easiest one that you put People up. should know that one. Yeah. If they don't, they're, they're not true cinephile listeners, and they don't deserve a T-shirt. And last, number nine, the 1980s trial movie whose ending you raved about. Hey is blank. Yes, great courtroom drama. So nine questions. We need all nine answers <laughs> correct. I think we're going to get ten. Well, at the very least, I like the fact we're rationing out these shirts because if if, if we don't get ten, then the next podcast, I think we just repeat those questions until until people answer. But, but Stancy <laughs> feels Until confident. the podcast is canceled <laughs> and no one has come up with all nine answers. Episode 87. Once again, what 1980s... <laughs> courtroom drama whose ending did i like the alliterative term oh my god the alliterative terms are gonna throw people out like hang on a second wait he says that a lot but that's not alliterative what the hell's alliterative without further ado we'll get to christopher guest in a second comedy giant but kevin hart you know him you love him and i've got a good story about what he was like interacting with him after you listen to this interview here's kevin hart 
Kevin Hart is in the house. First and foremost, how about the multitasking? You are right now sending a tweet yes. and a text as you're having this conversation. Yes, with me. I'm promoting my movie on the podcast and through Twitter simultaneously. <laughs> Simultaneously, simultaneously, simultaneously. When did I start having trouble with that word? Simultaneously, I don't, I don't know. I just what, watched it. What now is in theaters right now? Yes, it is. And we have to start with this. Every time I go to the movies now, Kev, I, I see trailers, and I either see you or Ice Cube or The Rock, and <laughs> I'm sick of it. I, I, no, I, I, we, we need to stop. I appreciate your work <laughs> ethic. We need to take a break. No, there's no break. It's Kevin Hart. There's no break. You take a break when you die. <laughs> All right, I want to make every movie on the planet if I can. I think you're doing it. My <laughs> goal is to have a movie plan and have nine trailers of my movies that are coming out. And in between that, also come out and serve you your popcorn. That is, that's my next goal. The multi-talented Kevin Hart. That's my goal. I, I give you credit because now the trailer should, the ubiquitous Kevin yeah. Hart. Like that's yeah. all the trailers should that's say. It. Now, that's exactly what you say right there. But I do give you credit because it's the work ethic. And I know you were not always this superstar. You were not always this comedic icon. So I respect where you come from mm-hmm. to get to this point. How rewarding is it now? What now is 53,000 th- theater that you sold out? You finance this film yourself. How gratifying is it to now have achieved the success? Uh, I mean, look, it's huge. At the end of the day, you don't do things uh, to not be successful you do things to to make your mark and your imprint on history the best way you can so uh for me financing and funding and 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 owning uh is definitely priority it's definitely important um and i think what was really really important was was making sure that i got the best piece of product out to my fan base you know um i've always went above and beyond and recreating myself and 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 then trying to come back better than what i was before so and what now i just wanted to come out and i wanted to be above and beyond what i was when i did let me explain that's why i took my time with it and to sell out a football stadium 53,000 seats that's nothing to be frowned upon it's a big deal i love the episode of comedians and cars getting coffee you and jerry seinfeld yeah. in which you said to seinfeld uh, you know, my daughter's asking, do we have a lot of money? Are we yeah. rich? And, so, and you ask Seinfeld for advice. Because, you know, I tell him, I said, I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm rich. Yeah. As he says. Yeah. I tell him I'm rich. Uh, you're not. I am. That's one of the best things that Jerry's ever told me. I think it's uh, it's tough love to the to the extreme right there. Yeah. But you've made that joke in one of your stamp specials. I believe it was either going with athletes or with rappers. Mm-hmm. Like they will rent out all of Disneyland. And you're yeah. like, well, it's one of the best bits of your routine. You go, well, I got a checking account. I, gotta yeah. no, no, I can only take out a certain amount of money. You got to explain your financial situation. You know, uh, I think everybody sometimes assumes that you're, where they, that you're where they are. So sometimes it's best to explain it so they know uh, that you're not participating in the extreme uh, spendage that they're taking a part in. You just got to separate yourself. That's what I've learned. And you're so gifted at using personal information in your stand-up, which is mm-hmm. what the great stand-ups do. Richard Pryor, Chris Rock, yourself, mm-hmm. especially the jokes about your dad. On a serious note, your dad was a cocaine addict. You've mm-hmm. talked about the fact he was not there for you. Mm-hmm. And yet you've mined so much humor from it. Those bits about, all right, all right, all right. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, it's a long, you know. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> like how? How? Where is the kernel of truth, and where is Kevin Hart gone? All right, let me just use some humor to, to embellish it a little bit. Well, it's all it's all true. You know, I think the the one he showed thing up that, no underwear, track pants, and a little girl said, "What's that?" Listen, the one thing you got to do, you have to pull from a real place. You can't you can't go and and have everything be fiction. It's best to to have some reality, and a lot of my stand up is based off of my reality, and I think. That's why my fan base has grown with me over the years because I'm relatable. You see that the guy that you're dealing with is real. He's not faking. You know, he's 100% into whatever it is that he's saying. And I stand on that. I stand on that. 
and I'm never going to change from that. I'm always going to go above and beyond and, and, and delivering something that people can walk away from and not only relate to, but go, wow, I believe that, you know, I feel like I know this guy. That's the, that's the thing about stand-up comedy. You want to be relatable. And I am. You definitely have proven that. Kevin Hart, what now is in theaters right now? My buddy Cab, who's a, a huge fan of yours, he told me to ask you about when you first started doing stand-up, you used to perform in some male gentlemen's clubs. Yeah, very true. Male strip club by accident. <laughs> I had no idea that that's what it was. Uh, I got there and I thought they wanted me to dance. And I was like, I don't do that. Uh, you know, I'm not here to, for that. They said, no, you, you're, uh, you're, you're on the break. We're going to bring you up on the break. So I performed. Definitely didn't do good. That's where uh, one of my worst shows because women uh, had no interest in seeing the man with clothes on. I'm just going to guess. Um, so once I was able to uh, figure that out and move on, we uh, we went in the right direction. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a learning experience. At the end of the day, you need those things to know what's good and what's bad. And that was definitely bad. But, but you are in great shape. Yes. So you could be like if Magic Mike XXXL comes out. And they offered you a part. You wouldn't be averse to that, would you? Yeah, well, I mean, now, you know, back then you weren't dealing with the same type of dude. You know, I was all over the place. I was a little mushy back then. Like you said, you've had this self-belief in yourself, Kevin, and had this confidence and this drive and this determination. But I always am curious how people deal with critics. What do you say to critics who say, Kevin Hart's a really funny guy, but the movies aren't as good as his stand-up, which is so good? Uh, I mean, look, everybody has an opinion. You can't be upset with somebody for thinking or feeling a certain type of way. They're an individual. You can... You have your own brain. You're not programmed to think how people want you to think. You think for yourself. So I don't get into that. Nothing bothers me. I'm never upset, you know. Some people are fans. Some people aren't. The ones that aren't, they don't make me mad. I'm not like, oh, man, you, 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 you wrong. You know, you should like me. I'm, it is what it is. I get it, you know. Uh, hopefully one day I win you over and you say, oh, man, you are a fan. If not, then, you know, I guess uh, I wasn't meant for you. The positive approach to have. You have developed your own brand now. It's almost like Kevin Hart, Inc. What is next? What is the, the goal here? Because movies, stand-up, mm -hmm. music. Uh, I mean, look, you, you're looking at a guy who's touching all lanes. And like you said, from stand-up comedy to acting, from producing to writing to directing to, uh, you know, eventually becoming uh, your own brand to the point to where you're partnering with the major brands. Uh, I think starting my network, the Laugh Out Loud Network, is a big step. I'm still partnered up with Nike. I'm still signed as an athlete. Rally Health, I'm still a health ambassador. Uh, animation films coming out. There's a lot going on in the Kevin Hart world, but it's never too much. I'm never too busy. I as busy as you are, I hope you save some time for some more roasts because you were awesome as the roast oh, master roast. Thank at you, the man. Comedy Central roast. And I just I can't get enough of them. The most recent one, they just annihilated Ann Coulter the entire yeah, time. Yeah. I think we should have like an ESPN roast. Don't you think if you and Caliendo and a bunch of guys came here and we roasted Mike and Mike or whoever? Oh, man. No, no, no. You guys, your roast would be way too easy. I wouldn't host it. <laughs> it's way too easy. What about like athlete roast? If no. Tiger Woods would be incredible. You no, guys way, way too many targets here. <laughs> Way too many targets. It's a walking laptop fest here. I, this is just a. It's very easy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do this. You could hurt some feelings for a long time here. I wouldn't do it. And a shooting fish in a barrel. Last mm -hmm. one for you. We do a segment on the show called Three Words. How would you describe Kevin Hart in three words? Live, love, laugh. Guy who likes to live. Guy who likes to love. Guy who likes to laugh. That's it. That is awesome. And uh, since you've given us the gift of so many laughs, I have a gift here for you. 
This is uh, our pot cinephile, the Adnan Burke movie podcast. And I'm, since I'm Canadian, I rank movies in a Maple Leaf. So we got four Maple Leafs. I like it. You're a four to four talent. I like it. I like the fact that you guys got a big budget around here. I got a, <laughs> I got a Listen, T-shirt. You're, 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 you're doing good. 15 appearances yeah. they kept. I'm the only one who gave you a gift. That's true. <laughs> right. That's true. And it's a size large. So it's uh, something I can't wear due to the fact that I'm small. But this is a guy. Thank you. You thought about me correctly. And, uh, you know, they say it's the thought that counts, and obviously you guys didn't think this through at all. But we, we only gonna, have yes. largest and extra yeah, largest. It's fine. That's a, that's a good thing, guys. I'm glad you're prepared for all types of people to come through at your podcast and, and, and make sure you treat them correctly. This is amazing. I'll never forget it. This is a T-shirt that I'm definitely going to look at and go, those guys were jerks. Uh, they gave me a large shirt knowing that I'm a petite small, and uh, he made sure to let me know he was Canadian, yeah. and he put some Leafs on the back. Yeah. So this is good. This is real good for me. Well, what now is in theaters now? Go check it out. Kevin Hart. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. All right. So that was Kevin Hart, and he had a very busy schedule. So thanks to Darren DiMatteo and the Talent Office. The whole Talent Office at ESPN, they do a phenomenal job, and they always hook up me and Stanzik here on Cinephile, making sure that all the guests that come through here uh, get to talk to us. I, don't, I shouldn't even say this now because we've, we've gotten burned before, but I cannot wait next month for Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton is coming to ESPN, and I I love Billy Bob Thornton. You just jinxed it, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know why you had to say that. Should I? Well, he's supposed to be. Listen, I feel when they're coming to ESPN, then it's more confident. If it's just you and I booking a phone interview, I have less confidence. I was going to have that be one of the trivia questions. <laughs> the guests that have bailed on us. But I think me and you might be the only one that right. knows some of those. Yeah, that's true. Unless Josh Drew really wants a shirt. I can't wait for Billy Bob. He's coming next month. But like Sandsick said, I shouldn't even talk about it. I shouldn't jinx it. But honestly, Sling Blade, we're going to talk. Man, it wasn't there. I thought you'd talk Bad Santa Bad for Santa. 45 minutes. I know. I could do it. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite comedies. <laughs> I cannot wait to see his reaction to like how many lines are going to quote from Bad Santa. Like, this guy's scaring me. So here's what Kevin Hart was like. First question, you know, how short is he? And I'm short. I'm 5'8", and he was demonstrably shorter than me. I think he was like 5'4", Stanzik. Is that a fair? He's just lower. You think he's like 5'2"? Because Michael J. Fox is listed at 5'4 and I love Michael J. Fox. And there are people that I know who have met him like, no, no, he's shorter than that. And Bob Costas is listed at 5'6". Like, no, no, he's shorter than that. De Niro's listed at 5'9". I met him. He was the same height as me. Eye to eye. So we were 5'8". So if you, whatever a person's listed at, they're probably exaggerating a little bit. So Kevin Hart's about 5'2". Had a few handlers with him. Chill. When it comes in, hey, what's up, man? Everything's good? <laughs> He's on his phone immediately, as we all are these days. And I said to him, do you need a second? He's like, no, we're good. We can go. And the first five minutes of the interview you just listened to <laughs> were completed while Kevin Hart was looking at his phone. Now, as Stasek pointed out, I mean, I was I was uh, miffed as he was talking that there was zero eye contact. But as Stasek pointed out, I think listening to that, you wouldn't have any idea of it. His answer is actually cogent and fine, and he played along, and he was good. But it was only around the midway point, probably when I asked him about his lousy movies, that he kind of, you know, then it felt like he had to actually look at me and comment. Uh, but nice enough guy. Listen, he's a big time star. He was very busy, I could tell. I'll say that he, he answered all the questions. But as far as when people say, did you ever get big timed? I think this is the closest we got to kind of being big time, just in that he didn't really seem engaged the whole time. Is that fair or is that harsh? You've probably gotten big time worse than that, and you don't even realize it. Yeah, you mean by just guests even canceling? Yeah, I'm, just a lot of times, and you see, these are some things you may not know in, in the guest booking world. Like, say you're filling in on Mike and Mike. 
Oh, right, right, right. And well, we Obama was supposed to be on. <laughs> and so, or, or you're filling in on whatever show you fill in on. You fill in on all the radio shows. Do a right. great job. Appreciate but it. sometimes when you're booking a guest and they find out that the, that the hosts of the actual show are not hosting, right. they don't want to do the show. So it's pro- you've probably actually gotten big time because you still talked to Kevin Hart. You still did the interview. Right. It's not like he said, oh, Adnan Verk, who the hell is that? Right. And didn't do the interview. He still right. did it. Right. So you've been big time plenty of times that you just don't know about. Remember the time I was filling on Mike and Mike and you said that Obama was going to come on. And then you think that he said no because I'm Canadian. I, I may have stretched the truth a little there, but <laughs> possible. Could have talked to the president. Anyways, Kevin Hart, listen, I, I just thought it was amusing. He did start the phone. But like I said, nice enough guy. He did answer all of our questions, and he's a huge star. And, and this one probably is just as funny as his other stand-up, which is all great. Christopher Guest is a legendary, fi- legendary figure in comedy. I'm a little uh, upset when I was just telling people about it. You know, the, the ratio of people who are Christopher Guest fans and know him immediately go, oh, my God, that's awesome. I can't wait to ask him about. And then they riff off all the movies, you know, Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, et cetera. And then the <laughs> ratio of people who are like, who is Christopher Guest? Which is just kind of sad that I wish more people knew how funny he is. But like I said, this is the comedy episode of Cinephile. You heard Kevin Hart, who's a big name. Christopher Guest, to me, is a huge name. And very serious. Didn't smile once, I think, in our entire interaction. But that's just who he is. And I asked him about it, as you'll hear momentarily. He's a serious guy, but a very dry sense of humor, which I found appealing. Take a listen to Christopher Guest. Joining us now is one of my all-time favorites, Christopher Guest, the multi-talented comedic sensation. You know his films from Best in Show to A Mighty Wind to For Your Consideration. The list goes on and on, Waiting for Guffman and, of course, Spinal Tap way back when. You gave a little head nod there. You're not used to being referred to as a comedy sensation now. No, no, I don't think anyone is a comedy sensation. I think so because when I look at your films – this is a multi-talented star that I'm talking to right now. We, there are many people, Christopher, that can deliver a line well. There are many people that can write a line well. There are some that can direct a line well. You are that rare breed. It's, it's like a, a multi-sport athlete. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't realize it was part of a breed of anything. But, uh, <laughs> wow. Thank you. Since we went with breeding, I'm going to go dive right into Best in Show. Ah, okay. J- just this whole process, because I hear improvise, and you hear outline, you go from there. Now, this is my understanding. Correct me when I'm wrong, because I'm going to be wrong. You write an outline. Should I correct you before you even say anything, or <laughs> <Please>. just wait? <laughs> wait, 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 wait jump, <laughs> jump in. <laughs> you write the outline. You've got your cast of repertory actors. Fred Willard, Catherine O'Hara. We've got Eugene Levy, John Parker, Michael Higgins. Parker Posey. Parker Posey. Sure. Here, come on, Ellen, guys. Here we go. All right, so here's the outline. Sure. Do you improvise prior to going on set? Or is it on set? Here's the basic gist of it. Get me from point A to point B and use this line to button it up. Because we have to have a through line. There's to be a plot. And the rest of it improvise. I think you've said it all. Thank you. No, uh, that's actually 100% wrong, but I know you can, uh, you'll enjoy that. Uh, wow, how do you explain this? Well, uh, in this case with Mascots, the film I, I just have coming out, uh, Jim Pittock and I uh, wrote an outline. Okay. It's the entire – it's the first, second, third act. It's 100 scenes. Every scene is you know delineated as to what happens in the scene. Okay. There's a back history of for every part given to the actors. I discuss right. it with them. We shoot uh, – Without rehearsal, and it's improvised. There's no rehearsal, and now you're rolling, and here we go. That is crazy to shoot well, without rehearsal because no I just rehearsal. right. Listen, so that's why it's called improvisation as opposed right. to fake improvisation. Right, because I've heard Kirby enthusiasm. They go, "Well, it's all improvised." And they go, "Well, it's somewhat improvised." Right. This is improvised, and I've worked that way since I 
did Spinal Tap with Rob Reiner, Harry Shearer, and Michael McKean, and we thought that would be fun, and it turned out it was, and now it's still fun. I would always want to improvise because I'm lazy. So I would go, listen, I can't remember the lines here. So you know what, Christopher, just just tell me how I got to get there, and in the meantime, I'll You're doing fun. it now. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You are, that's what you're doing now. You're not, you're not reading off a teleprompter. You're, right. you're talking. You know. I always felt like I could have been an actor if if I just didn't have to learn the lines. If it was yeah, all improvised, that, 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 you've actually gone too far there. But um, it's a it's a bizarre skill, and not everybody uh, can do it. No, in fact, most people can't do it. Well, I agree with you. And what do you do when you're improvising and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be working the way you want it to be working? Well, how do you tell Catherine O'Hara? You know what? You're not improvising the right way. It, well, that it, it doesn't. There's no. It doesn't happen. I'll be honest. Right. It just doesn't happen. These people are the highest level of what they do. Right. Uh, you may do another take because they didn't remember some piece of information that they had to talk about. Right. But there, if, if, if you're in a situation where you're saying something's not working, then you're, everyone's going home for a long time. It, it would be like uh, – well, I, I don't know if there's a good analogy in sports, but uh, it, it just doesn't happen. I would almost think – it's almost like basketball, I guess. Like if, wow, right? it's almost like basketball. <laughs> I've often said that. Actually, never said that, but you've just said it. But I want to hear why it's like basketball. Because of the ball movement. So you've got to make a certain number of passes, and then if you don't finish it off right, then right. everyone but, has to but, be in concert. Good. Here's the difference, though. I'm glad <laughs> your engineer's enjoying this. <laughs> no, uh, Dan stands because it's disagreeing with the metaphor. Wait till we're actually rolling on this. Then it's really going to be fun. The... Um, Basketball, there's a, there's a result in basketball, which is you hope to score, obviously. You hope yeah. to, uh, and, and what this is, it's not quite so black and white. It's not like being in a comedy club where you have a punchline and it's a blackout. You know? right. It's a little more kind of uh, – it's different. It is different. Christopher Guest is our, is our guest, and you can check out Mascots. It's currently available on Netflix. You're listening to Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast. Fred Willard, I, I'm obsessed with him specifically in Best in Show. And again, I'm going to give you another baseball analogy. Your films, it's kind of like in baseball, you have the lineup. And to me, Fred Willard is the cleanup hitter because every character is important. But Willard, every time I see him on screen, I'm already laughing. And I think in all of his films, he's great. But Mm -hmm. Best in Show is Mm -hmm. like a new level. Now, I have read... And correct me on this. He was doing a riff. You on, want to be corrected a lot, don't you? Well, I don't, and I'm happy I, to do it I, I because, just, <laughs> I mean, I'm, let's just go. But you know this. You meet a lot of people who are so-called experts. So I, I have disdain for those. I am a neophyte in this, okay. in this universe. So I want you to be the one who's the expert, which you are. Wow. I had read Willard was doing a, a play on Joe Gargiola at the dog show. And so all those non sequiturs, like how much do you think I can bench? And, oh, right. Shih Tzu, that sounds like a fun name. Right. That was a parody of that. Well, uh, hmm. That's thank, not thank, true. No, thank you for thank you for that speech. It was fantastic. <laughs> I'll work on it a little bit, and it would be even better. Look at the Sherlock Holmes have. If I can get a pipe for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Fred is an amazing uh, improviser. Uh, yeah. I've worked with him for a long time, uh, and that's actually a good analogy. The idea of there are certain people that are cleanup hitters, and he certainly would be third or fourth. Right. Uh, that the, I studied dog shows because I had a, just a regular dog, and I didn't show dogs, and. I had been watching the Westminster show and it was curious to me that they had someone on there that didn't really know and he'd been doing it for 10 years. It was just odd. You know, I felt really bad later because um, stories came out about that and he was upset about that and right. uh, that was kind of upsetting because I didn't mean to do that. But it, it was based on an athlete, a, a former athlete who didn't know anything right. about it. So, right. You know. um, Gene Levy, the whole idea that he has two left feet, where did that come from? 
Well, Gene and I, uh, we wrote we wrote the film. Fellow and Canadian, by the way. But, fellow, and where are you from? From Toronto, same as you. Toronto, do sure. Yuck yucks. Well, he's actually from Hamilton. Oh, you're right. See, the big but, Tiger Cats. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. The Tiger Cats. <laughs> name the team twice. Tigers and Cats. Uh, always a good idea. Um, let's not talk about the Rough Riders. Let's... The the two Rough Riders. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Sure. Uh, well, that's one of those things where you're writing something and we just came up with this idea. It's hard to know when you're writing comedy stuff. It's hard to know what the, the basic premise was, but we thought it was funny. It made us laugh and it was so absurd and yet it was <laughs> photographed as like a real thing. It wasn't, you know, and there you go. He, the guy has two left feet. He literally has two left feet. So why wouldn't we do that? Uh, it makes we had to have shoes so made right. and it was a weird process because they apparently don't make Shoes for people with two left feet, as, as we found out. <laughs> so we had to have a special shoemaker make that other shoe, which he had to actually wear, go the, the same way as the other one. Right. Anybody who I think is a wannabe actor can appreciate Waiting for Guffman and how funny those scenes are where they're trying to sing. And again, Eugene Levy can't carry a note. And everybody has been, Christopher, in the high school drama class. And yeah. no, no, you know what? I should be in My oh, Fair yeah. Lady, or I should do this. So I think yeah. somebody else can relate to that movie. I, I yeah. don't I don't know if that was intentional, but I found that was one of the most relatable movies that everybody can go, yeah, I've been in something. Oh, like no, completely. You know, I, I that came from me seeing a junior high version of a musical. I went with a friend, and he said, my daughter's in this thing. Let's go and look at it. Yeah. And it was based on that. And I thought, wow, this is something very poignant about this because they're trying so hard, right. and the stakes for them are as big as Broadway. It, it might as well be Broadway because it's, it's all relative, right? And I think – I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's part of the humor as well. The characters themselves are not meant to be funny. They are very sincere and very Correct. serious in their goals. Yeah. We are laughing at them, but they themselves do not think that they are funny. No, and I think laughing at them may be severe because I think you – I hopefully want people to like these people and relate right. to them as opposed to just pointing at some – person and in a sketch right. where you say that's just a stupid person right there there's a lot of drama interweaved in what i do and i think that that's important for me to have a basis of an emotional thing as well as just jokes you know? i think a mighty wind is so underrated and i love it so much i one of the anchors on baseball tonight i also work in college football so mm -hmm. whenever there's an error in baseball or there's an interception i'll say what happened so I've been doing it so much now. People have been tweeting me now and going, what is that from? So I immediately send the link of Will. What And And I'm amazed how many people don't get it. And yet then I'm heartened by those who will write back, I don't think so. And like the other lines that Willer did in that sure. movie. Where did that come from? What happened? Well, um, when, when we're writing movies, you, you come up with certain things. Mm -hmm. And that was Fred's thing, that yeah. particular thing. But some of them are – some of them we write prior to that. There are some pre-written jokes. But right. for the most part, it's improvised. Once again, Mascots is available on Netflix. You can check out Christopher Guest's hilarious new movie. I will always be indebted to my two dear college friends, Mike Kiss and Andrew Leshevsky, who introduced me to Spinal Tap. Uh, my first year of college back at Ryerson in downtown Toronto back in 1996 was the first time I saw it. And it, it's, it's a classic. And what is crazy about it, for any of those who have not explored the film or, or the story behind it, it's you, it's Harry Shearer, uh, Rob Reiner directed it. Michael McKean. Michael McKean. Yep. The movie was not a hit at the nope. time. No, nope. it was only a decade later that people were discovered it, and now it is on every single list of the top ten comedies of all time. Right, and it is a send up of a a heavy metal band, which people at the time, I guess, they didn't understand. They thought well, they thought it was real. First of all, right. We 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 were in uh, in Texas previewing the film, and Michael McKean, I were sitting in the audience, and the movie's playing, and it looks it's the first one done as a documentary, so people didn't know what the hell was going on. 
and two girls in front of us are, are looking at each other and one of the girls says, these guys are so stupid. Why would they make a movie about stupid guys? And we looked at each other and thought, yeah, we did it. We kind of did it. And in London, we went over to London and were interviewed by a press guy and he yeah. said, I, I'm confused. Why? Who, who are you? Who are you guys? He said, well, we're the people in the movie. He said, no, those were English people. And I said, well, yeah, but we talked like that for the film, you know, but really I don't have to do that every day. I only do that in the movie. And now he's completely. His head's about to yeah, blow yeah. up. Like, oh, my he, God. He, he didn't really know what was going on. But that was all right. Uh, the specific jokes, the, the, this one goes up to 11. Where did that come from? Yeah. Well, again, it's hard to track back so many years ago where individual jokes came from. The four of us would sit around and uh, and come up with things. But that has that's now in the Oxford Dictionary. Goes to 11 is in the Oxford Dictionary, which is just, wow, that's a an amazing thing. It's It's entered the vernacular as being... You know, people use that all the time. Yeah, if you go on IMDb, you know they give scores for your for Mill. It's always at a ten. This is found to have it's actually out of eleven. They just wow, I didn't know that. It's <laughs> no, crazy cool. to what level it's gone. Yeah. Mascots is the new film. Uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, as I mentioned, Fred Willard is in it, who I love. He has a hysterical scene with a little person. I don't Amazing. Want, I don't want to give anything away. Amazing. That, that yeah. scene alone. Again, I'm assuming heavily improvised. You just let Fred. Oh go. no, that just that just went. Yeah. Right. Him and a little guy. Also, uh, Ed Bagley has the first anatomically correct mascot. True. And he does not like the term micropenis. He goes with phallically challenged. Right. Yeah. This goes a lot of different places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah how – I always find it tricky because I don't like giving away too much of the film. So if you can try to uh, sell the film, so to speak, without giving away – because I'm just going to start giving away all the jokes as I've done. Well, you've done a pretty good job so far <laughs> of uh, – right. Uh, well, that is a that's a serious question as to do you do you spoil stuff stuff or do people like it more when they see it and are reminded of it because now they show in trailers they show some of the big jokes and people go to the movies and laugh even harder and I don't I can't explain that but it, that's a, that's a great point because they'll go go oh yeah, yeah that's you know, I love that like the Andy Samberg movie pop star I saw it and there's the one scene I don't know if you've seen it Samberg Haven't. throws a ball up and it goes in and they go ah and then, and again you see it in every single trailer and the movie they go yeah that was the best part but you already knew it was coming well, how could it be yeah. so funny Yeah well I don't know the answer to that uh, but right. it, I think there's a it's a complicated thing to figure out yeah. yeah What's it like having a wife who's who's also critically acclaimed Fish Call One is one of the funniest movies in Yes the well my wife Jamie is is incredibly well known and she's on that show uh, Scream Queens right now and uh, we've managed to have two careers that are kind of parallel. We we haven't worked together because we didn't want to mess it up. We've been married 32 years, so wow. something is happening. That's awesome, man. What, what's the secret to a great marriage? Oh, that's a I, – wow. I don't know. I think it's clean towels. <laughs> as long as the towels are clean, everybody's in a good mood. Everything's going to work out well. Um, this style – of making films the way you've done it. it. It is your own style. It's a Christopher Guest style, wildly improvised with the usual cast of characters. Do you have any sense of saying, I want to do something that is wildly different from that? Or are you pleased to know that no matter what, people are always going to know you for this distinct style, which has always been well embraced? Well, I, as an actor, I've worked in scripted things. My first movie, the big, the big Picture, was um, written. Uh, I've done screenplays. This is just fun to do. So I'm happy to do if, – if this still feels good to do again, then I'll do it. If it doesn't, then I, I won't. You know. Right. Do you have a, a – what comedy do you find interesting? I've been going back – after Gary Shandling passed, I was so devastated. Yeah. So I went back and watched again Larry Sanders' show, which is showing again right. on HBO. Again, similar to your show in that 
the, the showbiz style and inside the business, which I find hysterical. Is that yeah. a show you had an affinity for? Uh, that was a really good show. Uh, Fernwood Tonight was a, a great show with Martin Mull and Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen that, you should go back and, okay. and look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't watch a lot of comedies now, and I haven't for a while. We watch – my wife and I watch a lot of documentaries, mm-hmm. and uh, but I don't watch a lot of comedies right now. Yeah, I read an interview. Somebody said, why is Christopher Guest so serious? And I liked your answer, which was, listen, comedy is my job. Like when I'm when I'm on the clock, so to speak, I will make it funny and I'm going to bring it. But in normal life, I can't just be expected to be a buffoon. Wow, that's that's severe. No, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, you that I can to- do. I could be a buffoon, <laughs> uh, but it would take a little uh, – need to work that up. Uh, no, I think I am a serious person. I think uh, – I'm not a stand-up comedian, uh, even though I've performed uh, in movies that are comedies, so – yeah, why is it that comedies don't get more love at the Oscars? Oh, I couldn't care less. Is that the expression? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's if you're doing it for that, then you're in trouble anyway. I, I, yeah, I mean, you know. but for your consideration, which is a great film, is about that, right? Which is which is so right. it shows how shameless these people are to get right. that Oscar nomination. Well, people people want to be seen. It turns out mm-hmm. everyone wants to be seen. They want to be on the map in some way. Right, and the the quest for that is weird because it's not like a Super Bowl or the World Series where it's a it's an actual thing. You can say he hit a home run. The other guys are going to say, well, he actually didn't hit a home run. Right. He hit a home run. In in theater or in movies, some someone says, I like it, and someone says, I didn't. And who's to, it's a subjective thing, obviously. So it's a, it's weird. It is very subjective. The great Christopher Guest, make sure you check out Mascots, which is currently available on, on Netflix. Oh, yeah, okay. Our producer, Dan Stanzik, wants me to do this. I was about to wrap, but this is going to be really – Come on in. Why don't you <laughs> – no, no, seriously, this, join this, us. Your producer is – This is his last suggestion. So I do oh. – the only thing he really likes that I do is a Michael Caine impression. Now I Well, be, I'm – well, okay. No, it's not an original because what it is, is – Well, no kidding. <laughs> a, you're imitating a person. You may know that because you mentioned the name. Only 15 other comedians have done it, but no pressure. The late, great Phil Hartman was once on The Tonight Show, and he okay. said to Leno, he said, <clears throat> if you want to talk like Michael Caine, you must only say a few words at a time. And then Steve Coogan, of course, in his movie The Trip goes, Michael Caine, you should talk like this in the 1960s. Now he talks very, very slowly, and he gets a shaky voice. Master Wayne. Christopher Guest is appalled by how bad. No, no, no. That isn't my appalled face. We haven't gotten there yet. Um, that's just. I don't know what to say. I don't know how. But I, I will say this: if there are any comedy clubs around this area, don't go to them. No, no. Go to them. See what's happening. Just enjoy. You know, I, I don't think I'd go out on the road with that immediately. I would. Uh, I'm happy to help you in any way I can. I mean, oh. not literally, actually. Right. But, wow. Oh. Yeah. You're awesome. The great Christopher Guest, who's made me laugh so much. Thank you. You've made my sides hurt. So I'm going to give you a gift. Oh, wow. We just got T-shirts here. This is Cinephile, the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast. Awesome. Since I'm Canadian, Christopher, I rank my movies in Maple Leaf. So I always. Oh. So you're a four Maple Leaf guy. Oh. Out of what, by the way? Out of four. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking if 20 is the top, then that's really an, an, sort of an insult as I walk out. The wow. great Christopher Guest. Oh, Go thanks check so out much. Mascots. Thanks, man. Thank you. A Scorsese story. So I went back and uh, watched Cape Fear again because I've just been on this run of watching Scorsese De Niro movies after you know meeting Bob again and just they've made eight movies together. 
And I've seen Goodfellas so many times, it's just, I almost ruined it for myself because I've seen it like 30 times. So I may have to watch it again next. So I'm kind of going in sequence. But uh, as you've heard on the previous NFL, I talked about Mean Streets watching that again. Uh, I saw Taxi Driver, the 40th anniversary, earlier this year in April. I watched Raging Bull again a couple weeks ago. So I said, all right, let me just, uh, <clears throat> New York, New York, I honestly reviewed in the last Cinephile. Again, another Marty and Bob collaboration. So I said, let me watch uh, Cape Fear again. It's been 25 years. Nice round number. Let's see how this holds up. So I remember when people ask now with Halloween approaching, scariest movie I've ever seen, I think it always matters about where you were at that time. So I don't know if I've ever been more scared <laughs> after movie than watching Cape Fear because I was 13 years old at the time. It was me and my cousins together, and I, I remember, like, can we just all sleep in the same sofa bed because I don't want to be by myself because Max Katie is going to come get me. And – it's interesting where it fits in the Scorsese canon because it's easily one of his most mainstream films and one of his most entertaining. You'll talk to ardent disciples of him who kind of you know hold up their nose at it. They go, wow, it's just Marty doing what is so untypical of him, which is making a really commercial movie. Like it's just a, an action thriller and it's psychologically scary and it's got you know it's fairly predictable and there's it doesn't have his usual rhythm to it and that's about it. So it's it isn't really a movie to be regarded. I go the other way, which is that Although I don't hold it near and dear to my heart, I do think among that genre of psychological thrillers, it's exceptional because it exactly delivers what you want in those types of movies. And for that alone, it stands out. Um, you know, within his canon, like I said, there's a lot of other films that I appreciate more. But if I just want to get entertained by an hour 50, uh, uh, Cape Fear is a great choice. And I think for those who don't know Marty's work at all and you just say, well, I don't really know what it's – this stuff sounds a little intense, Raging Bull. Watch Cape Fear because I think that's a really good introduction to into his style without being a film totally from his heart. But still, you get a sense of his rhythm and just how talented he is as a filmmaker. The story of how it came together is interesting. Originally, it was going to be a Spielberg project. And Marty still owed Universal another movie. So him and Spielberg, of course, are close friends. And there was even an option that Scorsese might direct Schindler's List at one point. He was being in talks. So he kind of talked to Spielberg. He said, how about we flip this? I'll do Cape Fear. I owe Universal a movie. because Schindler's List, you know, we'll figure it out. So Marty and Spielberg and the screenwriter Wesley Strick and De Niro were in a screen room in New York, and they were talking about it. And Marty said, you know, the story just doesn't appeal to me. Like, I don't I, – like, I love the original. He loves Robert Mitchum. He loves Gregory Peck. He goes, like, I've seen it, obviously, but I don't – I don't get it. Like, what's the hook? Like, the script doesn't really appeal to me. And De Niro goes, well, you can change the script, like, whatever you want. So he met with Wesley Strick, and it was interesting. Strick goes, a lot of the stuff that Marty started going through, he goes, all right, take this out, take this out, take this out, were all the things that I specifically geared as I was writing it for Spielberg. It was almost like Marty knew in his heart, like, that's the stuff that he would do, and it's nothing against Spielberg, but that's not the kind of stuff I would do. And the fundamental change was this. In the original version, if you watch it, and the original I think is very entertaining just because I love Mitchum so much. I adore Mitchum because he's the villain. But the family is very pure and innocent and pristine. And then Mitchum is the bad guy, and he's phenomenal. In the updated version, Marty made the actual family, you know, having their own sins and own issues. So they're already a fractured family. And Max Cady, De Niro's character, who's the antagonist, just rips apart this family from the seams, but they already have a frayed relationship. And that's what Marty really wanted to emphasize. That Nolte, when you meet him, he's the good guy, but he's an adulterer. He's had an affair in the past. He has a relationship that's kind of developed with Ileana Douglas. He's a very flawed lawyer in that, you know, he buried this evidence that he shouldn't have done. Jessica Lang is this frustrated housewife who, who knows that her husband is, you know, doesn't care for her. She's not really in love with him. Juliette Lewis is this precocious teenager who fights with her mom and dad and sees that her parents fight and maybe they're going to get divorced and she feels disconnected. So that's when you enter Max Cady and he starts ripping everything apart. One of the few things that, that Marty kept that Wesley Schrick wrote specifically for Spielberg was a scene where the housekeeper 
kills the cop. The cop, by the way, is great. Joe Don Baker. He's one of these cops where they always just show up like in the second act. You know they're going to get killed. And the scene where he's waiting there, he has like the whiskey and Pepto together. That's and that's an old cop trick. There's some cops do that whiskey and Pepto together. And it's the housekeeper there. And he goes, oh, how you doing? Whatever. And he, her back is turned to him. And then the housekeeper turns, of course, and it's De Niro. Dressed as a woman. So I was like, that is something you would see in a Spielberg movie. Like, it would just be this crazy twist. And it was kind of an homage, actually, to Psycho as well, which is why Marty liked it. He was like, oh, yeah, we'll have De Niro dress up and drag, and then he kills him. He's like, oh, you white trash, whatever. But, you know, it was it was Marty's attempt. Like he said, I wanted to make a commercial movie. I wanted to make – my movies don't make a lot of money. I wanted to make a movie that would actually be really entertaining and still be a really good genre piece. And one of the strengths of the film watching again is De Niro. Like he's incredible. And again, it, it speaks to his dedication and his artistry in the craft. Marty said that De Niro would get up, he'd go to bed at nine and get up at two thirty every morning. He'd work out for four or five hours. And this is 91. This is pre when everyone really understood, okay, protein shakes and here's how we eat properly. Like he goes, De Niro was a menace with his trainer. And he said, so all the scenes where he has his shirt off, we filmed those at the end because Bob wanted to bulk up as big as he could. This is 1991. Like, De Niro was, like, in his late 40s at the time. You watch it again. Like, he is ripped in this movie. Like, that dedication to the craft. Again, that's something that nobody can do like Robert De Niro. And that scene at the front, you know, where he takes off his shirt and they're examining him in the police lineup. Wesley Strick added that line for Mitchum. Mitchum makes a cameo in there playing a partner, Nick Nolte, because he has all those tattoos everywhere. And Mitchum's line is, I don't know whether to look at him or read him, which is a great line because he got all those tats everywhere. And De Niro said in doing the research, he went and had some buddies and went down to some prisons down south. And he said he met with the prisoners. And the first thing he noticed was, like, all these guys are tatted up. Like, that's that culture. They're all jacked and they're all tatted up. And, again, this is where what Marty was so smart about. Okay, I've got to make a genre movie, psychological thriller, mainstream movie that's entertaining. But here's where I'm going to put my stuff in there. Heavy Catholicism. Heavy religion, heavy biblical passages. De Niro's constantly quoting. Oh, this is what Leviticus says. This is what the passage says. All right, counselor. Like even even the tattoos are all God is my vengeance. The Lord is the avenger. Like that's where Marty you could tell is just emptying the kitchen sink with all of his own symbolism and stuff like that. Even at the end, the last thing De Niro's speaking in tongues, which was again like a reference to the fact he grew up like as a Pentecostal. I went to, granddaddy had snakes back then. Like he's always referencing those things. Even De Niro would on set call Wesley Strick the night before, hey, give me some more biblical passages, more stuff about retribution and vengeance and anger and rage. And I want to keep spewing that as if he's a psychotic preacher who feels like it's his goal to make Nick Nolte punished for what he's done to him. And I mean, again, that just speaks to the way that these guys were, were using it's a relative art form, but then having their own genre within that. So I thought it was a very entertaining film. Like I said, De Niro has that character. They asked him, why, why did it appeal to you? And he goes, I just love the original, how single-minded this guy, like how obsessive he was and how, um, you know, forceful he was about this guy screwed me. He cost me. And he goes, I met with prisoners who have done this, like rape and sexual assault charges and just to try to get the psyche of these guys. And he said, I had an audio recorder and I recorded some of those accents to try to get the Southern voice down. Um, but again, it speaks to his dedication to try to get that character right. But <laughs> Marty even joked about it. He's like, yeah, you know, Bob and I figured we'd make a movie about a psychotic because we hadn't done that before. And he goes, but there's definitely shades of Travis Bickle, you know, obsessive psycho trying to get the truth. But but watching it again, I, I would recommend it to people. If you haven't seen it in a long time, watch it again. You know, he really puts on uh, the razzle-dazzle, as I like to call it, that final scene on the on the boat. They had like a crane that was tipping back and forth. Henry Bumps, the production designer, works with Easter a lot. It's really cool. Like that's where Marty's really paying homage to Hitchcock and Spielberg and Brian De Palma, his good friend with crazy camera angles. You know, the guns flying all over the place, the handcuffs, and it really gets crazy. There's a couple of corny lines. One scene, Juliette Lewis takes the 
hot stove of water and throws it at De Niro's face. He just goes, are you offering me something hot? Like, there's, there's a few of those. You go, oh, God. Like, there's, there's a few clunkers. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, that's why it can't be upper echelon. And also the famous scene with Juliette Lewis and De Niro. So, by the way, the movie was a huge hit. So it was very successful in terms of what Marty wanted to do, which was make money. $75 million. De Niro was nominated for an Oscar. So was Juliette Lewis. The famous scene where he seduces her, he does the thing with the thumb. And he had told Marty that day, he's like, I'm going to do this this thing. And he's like, yeah, go for it, but don't tell her. And Juliette Lewis said on set, she'd actually developed a crush on De Niro. So when he says to her, he's like, do you mind if I put my arm around you? You know, she said, I turned into Juliet for a second. I'm like, oh my God, Robert De Niro's coming over to me and I have a crush on him. And when he started doing this thing with his thumb and just stuck it in her mouth and she started sucking on it, the whole crew was like aghast because they're like, oh my God, this is such a horrifying moment. This guy's a rapist. He's a sadist. And he's now with this 16 year old girl. He's sticking his thumb in her throat and she's sucking on his thumb. And, and this is like so seductive and just sick and perverse. And it's one of those scenes that people still talk about when they watch Cape Fear. And after Juliet Lewis even laughed and when they called cut and normally, you know, directors are shooting one camera. Marty knew what Bob was going to do. So he had two cameras just to make sure to get the reaction shot because he knows how much, you know, that Bob was going to improvise. As soon as they were done, Juliet Lewis was like, wasn't that great? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> and Marty just kind of gave her a sideways look like, mm, I'm not sure that's exactly the words I'd use for it. But yeah, okay, it was interesting. I also love the fact just that they pay respect to the original, like I said, by casting Mitchum, who was the bad guy in the original. Now he's on the good side, so to speak. He's helping Nick Nolte. And Gregory Peck is only in the movie for one scene. He, of course, was the good guy in the original Cape Fear. Here he plays De Niro's attorney. And he said he was thrilled when Marty called him. And he said he was you know, a total pro. And obviously I, I know... Scorsese's work and De Niro's work well, and he goes, they, they treated me with real respect and reverence, which was really nice. They know of my work and To Kill a Mockingbird and his place in film history, and they were really kind of kind to him and had him there on set, and he had a blast. He said it was really fun to kind of see what the role was. So check out Cape Fear, 25th anniversary once again. It's uh, a disturbing movie, especially the scene where De Niro rapes Ileana Douglas. Like when you watch it again, you just go, oh, my goodness, Like this is really tough to watch. But um, entertaining film nonetheless. Check out Cape Fear. All right, so just a couple of movies to review. Mascot, you heard Christopher Guest talking about his film earlier, and I hate to do this because I obviously love the guy's work, but I did see his latest film, Mascots. It's available on Netflix, and the story is exactly what you expect. It's that improvised group of actors that are well-known in the Christopher Guest troupe, and they're all banded together here playing different mascots. And unfortunately for me, that is a disappointment. I'm only going to give it two Maple Leafs. Uh, the best reason to see it, of course, is Fred Willard. He's hysterical once again. Uh, as I mentioned with Christopher Guest, the scene where he's talking to a little guy is unbelievable. And in fact, I would almost recommend watching the movie just for that scene or if you want to forward to about the 40-minute mark. It was laugh-out-loud funny. But unfortunately, I just felt like um, there wasn't a strong enough story here. And I think that's the danger with improv. I think if you go, all right, here's the plot. Now let's make it work. You know, you're really putting a lot of demand here on the actors to make the material funny. And if the original conceit isn't strong enough, then it's tough. Um, I, you know, I think with Best in Show that dog shows are so ripe for so much parody and there already is so much humor inherent that if you have a talented cast, they can they can bring out more. With mascots, it, it just kind of felt like too much of a one-trick pony. It was just, all right, they're a bunch of mascots and they're getting together for a mascot competition and it felt like a retread of some of his other films. So uh, I'm fortunate to say that because Christopher Guest not only is the, the director of it, but he also uh, reprises one of his characters from Waiting for Guffman, who's actually in the movie. But like I said, it didn't work as much as his other stronger movies, but – 
If you don't really know Christopher Guest's work, rather than watching Mascots available on Netflix, which I'm giving two Maple Leafs, go back and watch Best in Show again or watch Spinal Tap or watch Waiting for Guppin. Uh, those are all stronger, superior works. Another film just to review quickly, In a Valley of Violence. Uh, if you like Westerns, this movie is right up your alley, especially if you love old-school Westerns like Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns. Um, Howard Bryant, who's a terrific writer here at ESPN, he tweeted recently about baseball. He said, you know, the reason – I love baseball is the reason I love Westerns. There doesn't appear to be much going on. And then all of a sudden, when it goes down, it goes down big. And I can't stop thinking about that quote because that is a perfect reason to like both baseball and Westerns. And this movie is another example of that. Ethan Hawke plays one of these drifters who's just got a dog, and that's about all he needs. He's going down to Mexico, but he makes a stop in the city of Denton. And this is where it's in a valley of violence uh, where he gets approached by some some bad guys who start talking a little smack to him and, he kind of reacts poorly, and then whatever. The, the, the situation develops. The guy who is the antagonist, who's, who's getting in his grill, his father is played by John Travolta, who's the local sheriff. And the, the best reason to watch the movie is actually uh, the acting, because both Hawk and Travolta are, are terrific. You know, Ethan Hawk is playing that typical Western drifter, um, emotionless and taciturn and stoic. And Travolta's character, without hamming it up, you know, he's got this terrible legs he's got like a wooden leg almost this big medical metal contraption on it so he's very encumbered uh, as he's moving around which is not what you'd expect of a sheriff you think of a sheriff think of gary cooper and high noon you're not thinking of this guy who can barely move but that's travolta and it's rare to see him you know with the gray chops he's got a southern accent and um what the movie works well is as i said it's an homage to those old films the spaghetti westerns and the sergio leone movies but also it's updated with some really good humor and particularly the ending which, listen, if there's a knock against the movie, it's entirely predictable where it's going. But the ending is definitely shades of Quentin Tarantino in the fact that it just explodes in, in a lot of violence. And then there's a lot of absurdist humor along the way as well. The director is Ty West, T-I. hope I'm pronouncing that right, unless it's T. Maybe it's T. West. Uh, but he's done a lot of horror films. So this is kind of a different uh, uh, work for him to actually try something different. But because of the cast, Ethan Hawke and John Travolta and James Ransone as Gilly and uh, Tysa Formiga plays Marianne. Again, if you like Westerns, then I think it has enough of those tropes that you're familiar with, but because of the humor uh, that is Tarantino-influenced, it ends up being a bit of a, a better movie than you might think. Uh, shot, by the way, also in gorgeous 35 millimeters. So if you can actually watch it in the theaters, it's available right now in theaters. I believe it's limited release, and it's also available on DirecTV, which is where I saw it as well. But movie I recommend, I'll give it three Maple Leafs because I said it's, it's, it's a genre that I particularly like, and I think it has those those twists that you might like. Also, uh, I'll say this because I'm not a big dog guy. If you're a dog lover, I think you'll love the movie because the first half of the movie is a lot of Ethan Hawke and his relationship with his dog. And, and essentially the, the canine uh, works as a fulcrum for the story because things start to go awry when something happens there. So it'd be a doggone shame if you miss it. Three stars for In a Valley of Violence. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Cinephile. Go check out Cape Fear if you haven't seen it in a long time. Um, and also, do your best to get this quiz right. Stancic and I, Stancic believes that there's going to be enough of you who are going to get this right. So, I hope you're cinephiles. Over under three and a half. How many do you think are actually <laughs> going to get it right before the next podcast is posted? I'll take the under. Wow, no faith. Okay, no fine. I'll no take the faith. No, three I'm and a half is way low. over. Okay, three and a half. I'll take the over. But I'm taking the under on ten. Okay. The, the next cinephile podcast, we are going to begin it the same way we did this time. More people are going to send me Scorsese same books, questions. and you're going to have the exact same questions again. Until okay. we get 10, then it's a new quiz again. Okay. But I like the fact we went high. When they go low, we go high. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Cinephile. We'll see you at the movies. 
Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.